<clears throat> Clearly, I am not Pastor Joel, um, but I have Pastor Joel's words right here. So um, we don't know exactly how the Holy Spirit speaks to us through his word or through his people, um, but today it's going to be kind of a relay. So Pastor Joel has written the sermon, and I will do the best I can to tell you what he said. So <clears throat> uh, let's open with a word of prayer. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for preserving it for us so that we can, so that we can know about you and how you want us to live, so that we can know about the salvation that you have made possible through your Son. And Father, as we come to you this morning to worship you in this uh, time that you would be pleased and glorified by our worship of you and that uh, your Holy Spirit might use the words that Pastor Joel has written and um, in the hearts of each of us and cause us to, to live lives that are pleasing to you and that glorify you. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> so, miraculous events are not foreign to Scripture. Uh, throughout the Old Testament, God used miracles and even supernatural events to, in order to work His will in the world. From His acts in creation to the flood to confusing languages and the replacement of a ram... As a substitute for Isaac, these events in the book of Genesis are just a few of the many miraculous things that Scripture has chronicled for us. God seems to use miraculous and mysterious events as a means of inserting himself into the, into the timeline of history. And he does that in order to cause his people to pay attention to what he is doing. So it's, it's a, little, a little bit like he inserts himself into the uh, time-space continuum. Right, uh, Luke? That's those fancy words. So, um, so God kind of puts himself into a timeline that he has already put in place, but we can see it as miraculous because of, of his insertion. Arguably, the most mysterious and miraculous event is the birth of Jesus. In one being... In just one being, we experience hundreds of fulfilled prophecies, a unique and miraculous birth, one who is able to live in a perfect life because he is fully God and also yet able to, symp to, symp to sympathize with the weaknesses of humanity because he is fully human. Surrounding the birth of Jesus, God did some other mysterious and miraculous things, communicating through dreams uh, angelic encounters, opening an aged and barren womb, and even astronomical anomalies. Because of what, he, what we can see in the birth of Jesus, we can draw a, a series of principles. So the first one is, God uses extraordinary things to bring people to himself. As we read earlier in Matthew 2 by Rick, we got a glimpse into some extraordinary things that God did in and around the lives of the Magi in order to bring them to Jesus. In fact, it seems like God spoke in three specific ways 
in this passage of Scripture. God spoke through astronomy. So we see this in Matthew 2, verse 2, saying um, through, the, through the Magi, uh, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So the Magi are asking Herod where the king is. There's a lot of debate regarding the nature of this star. Some think it had to do with planetary alignments. Others postulate that it was a comet or or meteor. Some suggest it may have been a supernova that exploded. And still others postulate that it was an angel. At this point, we have no clear way of knowing. Scripture simply tells us of a star. There are some challenging elements to this star, however. It would have appeared and been visible for a couple of years. The text suggests that the wise man didn't see Jesus until he was close to two years old. I know a lot of our nativity scenes show the wise men at the stable and the manger. The text, however, says that Jesus was a child, not a baby. It also states that the star seemed to direct them to a house, not a stable. The star may have only been visible to the Magi. It doesn't seem like the other people around Herod had noticed this astronomical anomaly. And the final uh, strange thing about the star is that it seems to be movable. It led them in the direction of Jerusalem to Herod, and then led them to Bethlehem, some six miles away, and then directly to the house where the family was staying. Whatever the nature of this star was, it certainly was clear enough to be noticed by the Magi. God clearly communicated something to those who could understand. So in addition to God speaking through astronomy, he also speaks through scripture, primarily prophets and writings. Uh, Once the Magi made their way to Jerusalem and told their story to Herod, Herod summoned the priests and the scribes. They scoured scripture in order to ascertain that the Christ or Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. And so the the, um, scribes responded to Herod's question in Matthew 5 or 2 verses 5 and 6. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So the fact that we have scripture so available to us, many of us have multiple translations and digital copies, we sometimes fail to realize that God's written word is an extraordinary means of communication. We have on these pages in our Bibles the inspired word of God, his very thoughts and instructions to us. In fact, Peter says in 2 Peter 1.21, for no prophecy has ever produced by the will of man, was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So clearly the Holy Spirit and God were involved in, in preparing and putting together our Bible. The written word of God is a treasure for us. It is in his written words that the scribes and priests found God's revelation about the Messiah. 
It is in his written word that we find biblical truths for living today. It is where we can learn about what is to come. Do we treasure his word the way that it deserves? Not only do we see what God spoke through his scripture and through astronomy, but we also see God speak through dreams. A little bit less common today. What are dreams? I, quote Pastor Joel, often think of dreams as being the way that my subconscious and my imagination weave reality and function into a fantastic series of moving images. Sounds like a movie, right? But in this scene in Scripture, we actually see that God spoke through dreams on a few occasions. Specifically here, he communicated to the Magi that they should return home a different way in verse 12. In the very next verse, we learn that Joseph is told in a dream to take Mary and Jesus to Egypt, and then later he is given instruction in a dream that the way was clear for them to return to Nazareth in verse 19. Of course, speaking through dreams is nothing new to God. He put dreams inside of people like Joseph and Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar and others in order to convey his plans. Even today, God still uses dreams to awaken people to his plan. A dream confirmed for my, and again, quote Pastor Joel, a dream confirmed for my father-in-law, Mr. Hanneman, that a position for which he applied was going to be his. God frequently uses dreams and visions for Muslims to help them see the salvation that Jesus brings. If God were to communicate through dreams to you and me, would we pay attention? Would we notice? Would we seek him in the way that the Magi did? So God did extraordinary things to bring the Magi to Jesus. Here we really only discussed the ways that God spoke. Even though God is doing all of this, we have to recognize that some people will always try to oppose God's plan. The birth of Jesus Christ is arguably some of the best news in history. And yet, King Herod saw Jesus' birth as a threat. So he did what he always did, eliminate threats. In Matthew 2, verses 16 through 18, Scripture tells us, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Herod has been known throughout history as Herod the Great. His greatness may have been simply because he was the eldest of his father's sons. As a politician, he was shrewd and seemed to make decisions that would garner favor among various people groups and authorities. 
But as a ruler, he was paranoid. The solution for his paranoia was death. At a time when he thought that a couple of his sons were planning a coup, he had them murdered. After having his favorite wife's parents killed, for those who are in-laws, you know, you aren't safe, he had his sister tried and executed. So siblings aren't safe either. So the birth of this king of the Jews was seen as a threat to his reign. He had no way of knowing which child this was, and so he was going to wipe them all out, every boy under age two in the region. An event like this can easily bring up lots of questions. How could a loving God allow such a thing to happen? How did God lead Magi to Herod and not straight to the house? I wish I could fully understand why God allows certain things. This tragedy would have been devastating to those families whose innocent boys were murdered. In our modern arguments and mentality, we want to assume that God is only going to allow good things. He is like a cosmic Santa Claus, giving us only what we want and pleasant experiences. We end up wanting God only on our terms. But we have to recognize that God has also granted us some semblance of a free will. We have abilities to choose to do things his way or choose to rebel. Because of the reality of our sinful nature, we have to recognize that our sinful behavior has consequences. The sovereignty of God, God's reign over all things, has been a topic of debate for centuries. How can God be sovereign and humanity be responsible for the consequences of their actions? Does God ordain evil by allowing it? If humans have volition or free will, then can God be sovereign? We could spend hours reflecting and debating this topic. Rather than getting too far in the weeds on this, let's think about it in this way. God created the universe and ordered it by certain principles. He has granted some natural consequences for the sinful choices we make. Herod's choice had grave consequences for the families in that region. But God is also a God of redemption. He redeems our worst failures and greatest fears. He did so most clearly on the cross. We may want to put a lot of weight on Herod's wickedness, but we have to recognize that the same sinful nature lives in us. You and I are capable of vile and cruel acts. We may not do things that cost the lives of others, but we can easily do evil with our words, our posts online, with our unforgiving and unrepentant actions. Herod's rebellion against God cost him dearly. A few years after these events, Herod died an excruciating death. He is now eternally separated from God because he refused to submit to God's sovereign authority. So God used extraordinary means to bring the Magi to Jesus. We've also seen that some people will always oppose God and his ways, just as Herod did. 
So what? What should we do in response? I'm glad you asked. I think our response is to pay attention and follow. After the wise men had a chance to see Jesus, God spoke to them again through a dream. He also spoke to Joseph. Their responsibility at that point was to follow or obey. In Matthew 2, verses 12 through 15, speaking of the Magi, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night, and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Let's take a moment now to consider what God has done for us. First, he bridged the gap between time and eternity by sending his son to be born in a miraculous way, to live a perfect life, to die a death he did not deserve in order to make a way for you and me to have a relationship with him. What an extraordinary and miraculous act of God. He inspired people over a couple thousand years to write down his words and reflect on his work in their lives so that we might have a record and a specific revelation of God. He brought people into your path who introduced you to Jesus. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a relative. Maybe it's even your spouse. If you are not yet a follower of Christ, will you respond? Will you receive his free gift of life as outlined in the word of God and proclaimed through the people of God? If you are already a follower of Christ, are you making the most of what God has given you? Are you paying attention to his word? Are you paying attention to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit? He may or may not use dreams, but I believe he is frequently speaking, prompting us to engage others in conversation, prompting us to, rec to be reconciled with others, prompting us to repent, to forgive. God is still using extraordinary means of drawing people to him. I believe you and I are part of those means. The Magi followed a star the word of God, and dreams in order to come to Jesus. What will it take for you and me to come to him and to walk with him? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for Pastor Joel and his faithfulness to your word. Father, we ask that you would, um, by the power of your Holy Spirit, uh, work these words in each of our hearts and cause us to live lives that not only portray you, but show you to those around us in ways that bring them to yourself. In the name of your Son, amen.